going, everybody? Welcome back to Inking Out Loud. This is episode 7. Today we're covering Brandon Sanderson's Wolverine. I'm your host, Rob Santos. I'm joined once again by my good friend Drew from Colorado. Drew, what's up, man? Oh, not too much. It's been a crazy day, but I'm looking forward to talking some Warbreakers. Yeah, Sounds like it's been off the hook. Uh, we were originally going to have two guests with us today, but uh, we're no longer going to be having them. Some plans just fell through at the last second. Um, what that means is that Drew and I will be just helming this entire podcast, and uh, we'll be firing back and forth probably quite a bit quicker uh, than these last few podcasts have been in terms of pacing. Um, but that's just because Drew and I are really excited about what we, you know, what we love. Yeah. And, uh, you're gonna have to forgive us because there's no one here to keep us, you know, in line now, Drew. So we could we just have free reign, eh? Yeah, we can. Um, yeah, and and this is this is kind of a fun book to, to have some free reign with too, because uh, you know having no guests who haven't read the book yet, where we can we can kind of delve into stuff a little bit deeper. Especially, yeah, you know, we we may visit at towards the end of this episode. We're not gonna dive in too hard for most of it, just in case some of our listeners are reading this for the first time or or haven't read some other. Sanderson Cosmere books, but at the end we will be talking yes. about some of the bigger implications and crossover characters and things like that. So, yeah, just bigger Cosmere wide. Uh, I don't want to say spoilers, but maybe connections here and there. Uh, yeah. So if you haven't read Warbreaker, the the vast majority of this uh, first half, like this first episode based on Warbreaker, is going to be perfectly fine. We're not going to be spoiling too much, but near the end of this specific episode, we will be spoiling some Cosmere connections. Am I? correct and that's where we landed on that right we're going to be uh yeah yeah we're going to be discussing wider cosmere connections from uh warbreaker near the end of this episode but we will put a disclaimer like we will say so beforehand so yes no worries everybody and and when when we get to that you know it, it probably won't be so much like actual plot points from other books but just i specifically i want to talk about some like character stuff and like how characters uh compare who are in Warbreaker and who show up in other books and the how similar or different they are at those later points. Yep. So, yeah, well, I think we should, uh, you know, start off and, and just kind of do an overview of what Warbreaker is like, because this is, you know, in some ways it's, it's very similar to what readers of Brandon Sanderson have come to expect, but it is yeah different in a lot of ways too. It definitely stands out from the rest of his work, doesn't it? Yeah, it's uh, the world. I think is the closest that we have <laughs> to like a traditional fantasy world. You know, there, there's, there, there's not much. Yeah, okay. That that stands out as wildly different on Nalthus in ways that you know, like Taldane or Roshar or Scadriel. Good point. Yeah, you know, or, like yeah. that. There are these, uh, like physical differences with the setting this is a pretty yeah, standard setting like atmosphere kind of yeah yeah i see what you're saying you know it's it's Aesthetic. very colorful but you know there's yeah, color everywhere so we can we can still wrap our heads around it it still makes sense to us to consider a city full of color right yes one that revolves around dyes and color we can still conceptualize that it makes a little more sense to us that said though the magic system is a little more uh involved it's a little more kind of oh, what's what i'm looking for it starts with an a it's a little more uh, abstract i think uh, it did like I, it was hard for me to wrap my mind around on the first few read throughs um, oh, of this interesting. specific magic system. Basically, uh, it's 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 ties with color. 
Um, it made sense to me that breaths, of course, um, they can be endowed. Everybody's born with one. You can amass huge fortunes of them, and they grant you further and further powers based on, you know, uh, benchmarks of how many breaths you hold or the size of the breaths uh, that you hold in, in question. But the fact that they always need a source of color, that's what always kind of, I don't know, confused me. Yeah, it, it does seem kind of strange that, um, you know, because obviously the, the magic is being fueled by investiture, as all yep. magics are. And the investiture here is the breath itself. So I don't know if we have like a, a really firm reason for why color is also needed. Because the color isn't the fuel. The the fuel is the investiture. No, no. Yeah, the investiture itself, the breath, is is the fuel and, and why where does color come into yeah into, into play? Like, like it's, I don't know, I it's got to be something based on connection. I mean, there there must be some spiritual connection going on, uh, and and but we just don't know enough yet. Yeah, like like take for example, uh, just t talking really quickly and very vaguely, of course, about uh, Scadrial, uh, the Mistborn magic system. There, um, the investiture itself is coming from the spiritual realm, as the grand majority of the investiture is uh -huh. expressed in the in the entirety of the Cosmere. But on on Scadrial, it's um. It has to do with the, uh, the the metal itself, the kind of metal, I guess down to the molecular level, the way the metal is shaped and how it lets power through from the spiritual realm. I wonder if wavelength of electromagnetic light has anything to do with how uh, color is involved with, with the different applications of the investiture on, on, Nal on Nalthus. On Nalthus. Uh, hmm. I don't know. That's it, an it, interesting it's, idea. It's, because at, at least so far in this, there's no indication that specific color is necessary for things. You're right, right. It's just color, or maybe amount of color. Because yeah. I imagine that black uh, is is more of more use in uh, this particular magic system than say white. Yeah. Um, unless you're the god king. Yeah, unless you're the god king, of course, and you have this fa you know fantastic ability. Um, wait, do we we know about that in yeah in yeah part yeah. one? Yes, okay. Yeah. I just wanted to make sure. I will admit, by the way, that um, oh, by the way, Drew, good news. First off, I found my e-reader finally. I'm not gonna have to oh. continue listening through the audiobooks. Very uh, good, with the exception of all the physical copies I have. I do, of course, have a physical of Warbreaker, but I found my e-reader. I did skim through uh, the first half of Warbreaker. We went up to chapter 28 or through chapter 28. We stopped <laughs> on chapter 29. Um, and I, for the most part, I just did a skim through, but I have read this book literally dozens and dozens of times. So I may or may not kind of confuse things that happened in the first half and the second half. I was concerned about that today. No, I'm not going to do it. I'm going to promise right now. I'm not going to spoil anything from part two. All right. All right. I don't, I don't know where the hell I was going with that though. I had a point to make. It'll come to me though. Let's, uh, let's move on. Well, well, so from, from that point, I've only read Warbreaker twice. It's been quite no, a while. Yeah, could have fooled me. Um, I mean, I mean, this is a thing with the Cosmere, you know. Whatever some people online may think, and whatever like kind of, uh, you know, perception there is of of how many times I've read these books and in, in like the Facebook groups and stuff, I <laughs> I really haven't reread the Cosmere very much. Uh, you know, Warbreaker, this is my third time. Elantris, that was my third time. I've and that's insane to me. That's incredible to me because the only reason I can even remotely keep up with you, Drew, is the fact that I've read these books so many freaking times, man. I don't know how you absorb it so quickly. It's it, well, well, it's a little bit of a facade too because I just follow the, the words of Brandon very religiously. Yeah, um, yeah, that's true. But anyway, so so because this is my third time reading this book, and 
uh, it's been a little while. There, there definitely are things that I'm picking up again for the first time, or 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 picking up for the first time, or picking up again that I've forgotten. And yeah, and it's also uh, like Elantris. I'm finding that I have a, a kind of a different perspective on the characters here. Um, I think Brandon did a good job in this one, especially in part one of really obfuscating Vasher's character. Yes, he does a yes. good job of of making Vasher kind of vaguely threatening yeah and and you're like i don't know what you're up to should i be rooting for this guy uh-huh and and then you you know it, you have this kind of like juxtaposition with uh siri and vivenna going on and simply you've kind of like mm. vasher and denth going on where where siri and vivenna um are are the newbies you know and then you have vasher and denth who are these like hyper competent people yeah. that were meeting early on and 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 they're kind of placed in opposition to each other, even though they're not directly opposed to each other in these chapters, you know? Oh, that's a good point. Because I, I definitely did notice, and I, did, I do want to discuss um, the kind of um, inverse fortune uh, relationship that Vivina and Siri share. But I'd never stopped to consider the fact that each one of them also has, well, I don't say each one of them also has a competent uh I guess help along the way. Siri is not in any way involved with with Vasher at this point, but it's it, it's really interesting to note um, where they start their lives in this narrative. Each of them. I mean, Vivina, of course, being the one, the eldest daughter of Halandrin. No, sorry, not of Halandrin of Dedalin. Sorry, uh, yeah, the eldest daughter of of uh, Dedalin, and she was supposed to be the one to marry the God King. The whole treaty of peace depended on that, on the fact that she had been brought up groomed educated for this specific role and siri started the narrative of course as just a kind of unimportant auxiliary daughter of yeah. the royal line of idris like she really was not that important of a character and she wasn't used to being very important of a person at the very start but now where we see this going of course is that we see siri thrust into this this position of utmost importance arguably one of the most powerful women on the entire planet if not the most powerful and Vivina is kind of having to struggle with this kind of push into irrelevance. Obscurity, exactly. I actually wrote, that's the word I used down here in my notes. Um, so we landed on the same note on that part, at least. Yeah, and, and actually, so that's obviously, like, that. this is a big theme in the book, is is the role reversal that mm. and, and the swap, which is, you know, by no means a unique, you know, plot device. It's it's but something reliable. that, uh, it's something that, that's pretty common, but... It, it's it's done in, in a really clever way here where it's mm. not just the the swapping of roles but both of them are fully removed from their original you know comfort zones yeah and not and and in in both a physical and an emotional sense it's it's not something mm. like you know the parent trap where you know they swap roles but it's like oh well you're still like more or less living a you know similar life it's just like with different people no like it's a complete culture shock. Yeah, it's a fish out of water scenario in every sense of the. Of so the there's phrase. a there's a twist on it, and Brandon actually does a really interesting thing um, where you have this overarching theme for the whole book, and then uh, unfortunately I don't have my book with me again. It's been a crazy day, but uh, I think it was right. chapter two or chapter three. Uh, we you know Siri has been chosen. Syria has been sent off. And for the whole chapter, it alternates points of view between Siri and Vivenna. And it starts with Siri in the coach, and she's freaking out. 
know, yeah. she's she's absolutely losing it. She's terrified. <laughs> and Vivenna is like coldly sort of analytically in in her first scene thinking about like why this happened. Yeah. And then it goes back to Siri and she starts to be like, okay, all right, I gotta like take a deep breath here. I'm still freaking out, but I got I gotta like, you know, I can't just lose myself here. And then it goes to Vivenna and she's and Vivenna starts freaking out. Does it really? And, and the progression that. of the chapter, the two characters start in opposite positions and end in opposite positions, but they're switched. Where at Dude, the end of the chapter, up on this Siri shit, has has <laughs> <laughs> at the end of the chapter, Siri has like you know, she's still she's still scared, you know, but she's gotten right, herself yeah. under control. And she's she's like started analytically think about like, oh well, what about this about Halandrin that maybe that's going to be fun or like mm -hmm. maybe I can use this to, to be more comfortable and then Vivenna is like she has her discussion with their sister and she's freaking out and she's like I gotta up and leave and I gotta go save Siri and she's being the impulsive one which Siri yeah. has never been or, or Siri has always been I suppose it kind of foreshadows their whole transformation throughout the book yeah. doesn't it yeah so that one chapter I, I think is is like a a microcosm of the main themes and the main character arcs with Vivenna and Siri. Of course, that's, that's not the entire story. You know, there there are things that happen in you know in the climax in the latter half of this book <laughs> that that don't align one to one with with the sort of miniature character arcs that we have in that chapter. But I thought that was a really clever thing that Sanderson did there. That he, yeah, he established an expectation in the first two chapters with what Siri is like and what Vivenna is like. And then he flips them in the span of one chapter. Yeah. I hadn't picked up on that. That's a pretty astute way of looking at things. I'm definitely going to look at it differently next time I pick up this book for another reread. And while we're in familiar territory now, do you want to just start discussing our impressions on each individual character or at least uh, I do. Uh, main viewpoint characters? I do. Okay. And I actually want to start with Dedalyn. I sense a butt. Dedalyn? Okay. Okay. Um... You know, we, we get, I think, just one point of view from him in the whole book. And it's Not at the much, beginning. that's for sure. And then he yeah. shows up in, like, one other scene, but it's Vivenna's point of view. Um, Dedalyn is framed as as a, a good guy. He, he's ostensibly, framed guy. like, framed as a, as a decent human being. That he's, okay. like, he's this king who's doing his best for his people. And, like, he's, he's in a hard place, but but he's doing his best, like that kind of thing. Okay. I think, yeah. I think Dedalyn's kind of a terrible person for what he does. No, I, that's, that's why I was a little hesitant. Cause I was good. I was waiting to say my piece. I was like, is he, is he though? Because he seems kind of like, like a callous. He's, he's framed I, in this way, but I don't think the substance actually matches the, the yeah, perception. Actions speak quite a bit louder than words as the adage goes. Yeah. Right? Like, like <clears throat> not, not only, I mean, it's an utterly selfish thing that he does. By choosing to send Siri instead of Vivenna. Is it though? Well, yeah, you're right. No, sorry, you're right. It absolutely is because Vivenna would have was the one that had been trained into that lifestyle. And, and yeah, he obviously, even, he even talks about how he's not just upsetting the the order of things by sending yeah. Siri instead of Vivenna. So like he has an untrained daughter going to marry the God King, but it's also going to upset the whole succession of Idris, where he's been training his son, the second born. His whole life to take over his king, mm -hmm. and now that's all thrown out the window. And he's like, "No, Vivenna's going to be the queen." Yeah, 
and we don't really get a whole he lot favors of favors Vivenna the most. And we never it's something that Sanderson did in this book. I'm just now realizing that uh, on the subject is we don't really get any kind of point of view or, or information or anything from Ridger, I believe is his name. No, uh, we don't. The son. Mm-hmm. I mean, that's still a, that's still some some fertile ground upon which to to sow you know some narrative seeds there. And I guess Brandon just didn't didn't decide that Richard deserved a viewpoint in this book. Like he's not really yeah. an important character. And I think it's important to to note that not every character has to be important, even if mm-hmm. they're in a, an important position. Um, but I, I, it wasn't until you brought up that I, I totally forgot he even existed until you just brought him up. I yeah. was like, Oh, that's right. There's a son involved in the Royal line of, of Idris. Um, but yeah, Dedalin, he ostensibly does this for the good of Idris uh, you know, because Vivina, I don't know if I if I've been <laughs> pronouncing her way, her name two different ways. Vivena, Vivina. Vivena. I'm just gonna pick one right now. Vivena. That that sounds yeah. good. Let's make it a softy. Um, Vivena being groomed for this position her whole life, she's gonna be way more like more educated, more calm, more proper, yeah. more logically uh, in, endowed on the surface at least. Uh, she just she's she's better for Idris to stay home and Dedalin. He kind of clothes that selfish decision as an altruistic one. Yeah, I suppose because uh, because in reality, like at least from the information Dedalin is operating on, Vivenna is best for Idris in Palindrin. Mm-hmm. Like she she so he is gets... best in the role that she was trained for. Like now, as as we find out as the book goes on, you know maybe Vivenna may not have been the best match for Susebron, but yeah, and Siri is is uh you know Siri's particular you know, attitude issues work out for her the better there but yeah you know that her impulsiveness helps things on a on a personal relationship level with Sebron. but uh but from like you know an academic point of view like on the page so to speak Vivenna is much much better to yes, help protect Idris in her role as the god king's bride than than Siri is, you know. Yeah, or like like, but I mean, uh, Vivenna could also, with her with her knowledge and experience and, and her education and leadership, could also be a, a much bigger boon to Idris if she were to become their queen rather than. Well, no, then. Uh, but Ridger was, was the one who was trained for it. Yeah, you're right. No, I again just because I forgot that Ridger even existed, uh, I was making a false assumption there. No, thanks for uh, thanks for pointing that out. Um, yeah, it was. So are we? It was couched Sorry. in this way of like Dedalin saying, "I'm doing this for the for what's good for our country." But mm-hmm. you know, that's once the reader looks a little bit past the surface statement, there you realize, no, he did this because he likes her better, and he doesn't want her to get married off to what yeah. he thinks is a monster. And he's like, yeah. "No, I'm gonna put Siri there because I don't love her as much." And Siri has to come <laughs> to grips with the fact that her father kind of sees her as more expendable yeah. than her elder sister, which I'm sure is its own source of Yeah, especially when you find out that, like, when Siri finds out that, like, oh, nobody in- expected this to actually work, and mm. everybody was expecting whoever gets married to the God King to either, like, get killed or be imprisoned and used as a hostage. She was like, holy crap, my dad sent me into this. Yeah. And she's only seventeen years old. Let's 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 point that out right yeah, away. Yeah, yeah. She's uh she really hasn't she hasn't fully grown into into a woman yet. Mm-hmm. She's still having to just get past all this naiveties of her childhood. Um, and of course she still carries a lot of them with her. But as we're seeing more and more as her relationship with Susebrin 
uh, grows that perhaps in this one case, that's actually not a bad thing. She might be mm-hmm. the what what you know looks like a kind of impulsive and useless and imp- unpredictable tool could actually benefit Idris in in a way that nobody expected. Yeah. Until now. Yeah. Yeah, and so you know we have uh, let's let's move from Siri to. So Sebron, uh, specifically, sure, sure. because this is this kind of follows uh, logically here. We're talking about how she's still kind of immature and and impulsive and yeah. learning how to be an adult. In many ways, that is Sebron as well. Oh, for sure, he is a child in a man's body. Well, in a superhero's body. Yeah, you, you get yeah. what I'm trying to say. <laughs> yeah. Um, and the whole revelation about what's actually been going on with Sebron. I I love that. In uh, I I don't re- recall exactly which chapter it was, but I did read that scene today. Um, how Brandon Sanderson manages to take a character like the God King of Halandrin, Sebron, you know, a returned, not just a, a, an emperor. A god king, but also somebody who is literally endowed with divinity at this point, what they consider to be divinity. They he man, Brandon manages to take this character, this kind of faceless, threatening being, and then turn him into a helpless child over the course of a single minute of narrative. Just a minute is all it took to read through from that scene, from that impression that I had of this guy being big, scary, dark, and faceless, and kind of vaguely yeah. threatening. And intimidating, intimidating was the word actually I really want to focus on there. Just suddenly he's a he's just a, a helpless uh, little child who, who yeah. just wants help. And your heart kind of breaks for him all in the space of a single minute. And I think that was very, very well written, that scene. When he when it's revealed that he has, of course, spoilers here for part one, no tongue. The god king of Halandrin has no tongue. And um, that kind of grants him a huge measure of humanity in the reader's eyes because okay now we see that he's also got problems and mm-hmm. that he's a sympathetic character he's vulnerable she wa- yeah he's vulnerable and he's a sympathetic character and he hasn't been until this minute mm-hmm. yeah and and so so you have siri who is extraordinarily vulnerable in this role that she's not suited for and then you find out that she's been matched with this man who is also vulnerable and also doesn't really know what he's doing and and so they have a, a basis for a relationship there yep and uh that that may not have been possible had vivenna been sent no probably wouldn't have been vivenna was kind of a cold bitch wasn't she i don't know if i would say a cold bitch but she she was she she really was proper she was everything by the book everything by the rules and so there there would have been i think a lot of frustration on the god king's part yeah with her kind of sticking to her internal rules and him not understanding what he's yeah. supposed to do or why she's doing what she's doing. Mm-hmm. I think there would have been a, a major miscommunication issue there and uh, yep. and that would have been a problem. I think honestly just mentally speaking Vivina or Vivena sorry is just too old for Sue Severn. Yeah. She's just she's just too too mature of a person, too distant, too cold, too logical and that's not I don't think Sue like Sue Severn would have responded to that at all mm-hmm. so perhaps you know the the creator likes to work in mysterious ways right yeah yeah uh is there anybody else you want to discuss i mean let's i think talk about vivenna sorry oh yeah yeah let, let's 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 dive into uh vivenna a little deeper wow phrasing i didn't mean it. <laughs> <laughs> uh so yeah vivenna um she is i don't know i i'm not a big fan of vivenna a lot of people do like her i'm not one of them i'm a big i don't fan. hate her are you a big fan? I'm a big fan. 
I I become a big fan of Vivenna later in in other Things. roles, but I I don't uh, as far as like up to this point where her character is and who she is, she's just not very fun to read. See, I I find her really For fun me. to read because yeah. she is is set up as this competent, you know, dutiful, got got everything under control kind of person, and then she's thrown into a situation, she makes one impulsive decision, and ends up in, in a situation, throws herself yeah. into it, where everything is up, upended, and she has Wait, to... Hold on. What decision are you talking about? Oh, her to decision to leave. Siri. Oh, yeah, sorry, yeah, yeah of yeah. course. And, and to go to, you know... This foreign land that to her is full of like monsters and heretics and evil and all of this stuff and she's Heathens. she's so because she's so set in her ways, it's difficult for her to adapt in ways that it's not so much for Siri. Siri is a much more adaptable person than Vivenna, but I so agree. but so what we see with Vivenna here is a is in my opinion, a better character arc because it's harder earned. Okay. That's fair. I'd agree. Uh, hold on, I'm just sorry. I'm just pouring a beer here and I'm trying not to let it fizz up over the rim of my glass here. Um, we're still talking about Vivina, yes? Vivenna? Oh my god, I'm going to keep doing that. Everybody... We're, we're not on cell. We're not on cell. You don't need to pronounce the, the vowels hard anymore. On cell? What do you mean? Elantris, Serene. Oh, cell of the planet. I thought you meant cell, like C E L L. I'm like, no, we're over webcam and Facebook. <laughs> Duh. No, okay, got you. Um, no, no, no. Yeah, we. I guess we could do that. But I could just hear people going, hey, "You just gotta keep pronouncing it different way." I mean, I'm gonna be that guy if I was listening to another podcast. Uh, just so everybody knows, I'm aware that I'm doing that. I'm not trying to do that, but uh, deal with it. <laughs> Come at me, bro. Um, but. <clears throat> uh, is there anything else you want to discuss about the Vivenna? Oh, you know what? There is one thing I wanted to discuss about Vivenna. She has, in this book, and there's something that Brandon Sanderson in particular as an author I found is he's really good at doing, is presenting um, a lot of internal conflict with a character based around their religion specifically. He does that very, very well. And in this book, in, in Warbreaker, a lot of it takes place inside of Vivenna's head. Because she has been brought up as a devout follower of ostracism, uh, and a lot of her actions and what she's the, the choices that she's being forced to make are very hypocritical of her religion, and she's having to come to terms with that. There's a lot of inner in the internal dialogue uh, or conflict, I want to say. And there's a, a a quote that I wrote down here. Um, let's see here. Uh, scene where Siri finally saved his chance, of course, Sanderson. Okay, so yeah, of course, being a Sanderson novel, his characters, Vivenna this time, have been uh, building internal conflicts about the religion. In chapter 25, Vivenna comes to the realization that ostracism is potentially leading her to make hypocritical judgments. Um, I, and I quote from the text, The five visions taught that she must try to understand others. They told her not to place herself above them. And yet, ostracism taught that what Jules had done in... in uh, selling her breath as a child was an abomination the two seemed contradictory to believe that jules was wrong to place herself was to place herself above the woman but yet to accept what she had done was to deny ostracism so she she's got this whole this whole internal conflict centered around her religious upbringing and what she's been led to believe up to this point in her life 
Um, you see that, of course, with other other characters in Brandon Sanderson's Cosmere. I just want to point out what a fantastic job he does at balancing that. Yeah, yeah. Someone, yeah. That's that's a good call, and and I I kind of want to maybe moving away from characters a little bit, but uh, and sure. going into the world building, specifically the magic and and the religion here that you're bringing up, and and uh, a major character point with Vivenna where you know she's forced to take this huge trove of of breath you know and which yeah. which she against her will yeah she she sees this as you know heresy it's awful it's evil all of that but when we take a step back and, and look at this from kind of a writing perspective uh this little element of world building that brandon does here and this is one of the things that i think warbreaker is a, a standout with sanderson more than any of his other series is it's like the Rune Lords with David Farland, where he does a really good job of integrating the magic system into all aspects of society. That it yes. has religious, social, economic, philosophical implications, implications and ramifications. Yes. And like, like when it was it was great when you were talking earlier about how like, you know, with, with breaths you can amass these great fortunes and it uh, affects your your uh, social status and stuff. And I was just like mm. laughing internally. I'm like, this is exactly like being a rune lord. Yeah. Yeah, and, absolutely. And like being a rune lord, you're taking something from somebody else. You are leaving mm. somebody else, um, you know, lessened. Now in I this, mean, you don't have, you know, people with, with greater amounts of breath aren't, uh, you know, forced to take care of or, or protect the people whose breath they take. So it's not quite as fully fleshed out as, as yeah. what Farland does in the Rune Lords. Well, but it has similar. to stand out a little bit. It's, yeah, it's similar. Very similar. I mean, it even uses the same name, endowments. Mm -hmm. You know, oh, the, yeah. the, the shard that the shard, resides, yeah. for those who don't know, uh, <laughs> I speaking was... very briefly about the Cosmere as a whole, or as a wider <laughs> whole, the shard that resides on the planet Nalthus is called endowment. And yeah. that is the intent around which it is based. I was uh, I was like building up to that to, to get into the yeah. point where I'm like, oh sure, sorry, I didn't need <laughs> to. Uh, <laughs> but but that's my point. Like I that. mean, I think I think of all of Brandon's books, this one shows most clearly the effects of him learning from David Farland, and yeah. because we know Brandon has read the Rune Lords, that he definitely took inspiration from some of the aspects of the world building in the Rune Lords for Warbreaker. And I wonder how why it took so long because Warbreaker is his fourth published novel, I think. Uh, it came out in '09. We only had Elantris in the Mistborn trilogy up to that point, I think. I think it was the first book published after he was announced as the editing, or sorry, as the finishing author of the Wheel of Time. No, no, that would have been no, Hero no. of Ages. Yeah, that would have been Hero. Of no, Ages. Well of Ascension uh, came out. No, Well of Ascension because that was '07 when when uh, Robert Jordan died, and Well of Ascension came out later that year. No, that's uh, my mistake, but. I mean, you'd think that more of his influence from David Farland would have showed up sometime in Elantris, sometime in the Final Empire, well, or I, I think, uh, I think there, there's certainly some influence to, to there. Degree, but I yeah. also think, you know, he he got better as a writer and he learned better how to implement these things that he mm -hmm. learned. Uh, and and this is also something I would uh, a comparison I like to make with Warbreaker is that Warbreaker and Elantris are very similar books mm -hmm, uh yeah. it both in character arcs and in structure and in themes uh mm -hmm. like 
you know, in, in this book you have Vivenna with the religious uh, conundrum, so to speak, as a, you know, as an internal conflict. and you As, had, a, as a narrative device. Of, yeah, yeah, and, yeah, and you had Rathen in Elantris. And then in Elantris you had Sereni, who's sent away from her homeland to go get yep. married, and she shows up, and the circumstances are totally different than she expected. And here you have Siri, and Siri and Sereni even have some some particular like character traits that they share. They have that kind of impulsiveness and yeah. youthful exuberance, you know, and, and religion kind of in general demeanor, is a, yeah. is a major theme in, in both of these books and, and religious strife across borders. And, yeah. uh, and, and in a lot of ways, I think um, Brandon's improvement as a writer from Elantris to Warbreaker, you know, in, in that span of a couple of years there um, is, is noticeable. Yeah, and I, I don't want anybody to be thinking that we're comparing the two too much and that we're saying one was, was really blatantly influenced by another. I want to point out that this is something that we see happen a lot in fantasy as a whole. Like, oh, it takes a little time. One of, the, one of the greatest, in my opinion, and I'm sure in your opinion as well, Drew, like the greatest currently finished epic fantasy series on this planet. Uh, yes. The Wheel of Time was heavily influenced, of course, by The Lord of the Rings. A lot of people have realized that the Eye of the World shares a lot of similarities to the fellowship of the ring i think it is but i mean this is something that authors do a lot but it's never well it's not i don't want to say it's never a bad thing but it's not always a bad thing because authors can put their own spin on it and they end up running away into territories that only they've been able to to envision uh, like what like i'm pretty sure all the similarities from the wheel of time to the the lord of the rings kind of end around halfway through the first book yeah yeah the end of the oh first it always book. cracks me up can, when i when i see people oh, online Saying yeah. like, "Oh, the Wheel of Time is just a Lord of the Rings ripoff," and I'm like, "Oh, well, you clearly never read past chapter 15 of the first book." Right. Like, like <laughs> it's not a bad thing for authors to be influenced by another author. I'm not making any accusations. In fact, I like when it happens because the the tried and tested methods are also they tend to be the most successful and most enjoyable to read. Um, but it's very important for an author to take any kind of influence like that and put their own spin on it. And with Brandon Sanderson's style, I mean, his style is not very much, in terms of his prose, is not very much like David Farland's. Maybe some of his inspirations and his ideas. Yeah, but, but styles like a are sentence dist distinct level, enough. Yeah. A sentence level analysis shows they're very different stylists. Yeah, Brandon's a lot more tongue in cheek. Yeah. Definitely. And, his, and he, doesn't, whole... he doesn't immerse you in, in the senses the way. Arlen does. Yeah, he's not quite as visceral of a of a writer, I would say, as Brandon. Brandon doesn't uh, doesn't lean on stuff like smell and feel and stuff like that mm -hmm. the way Farland does. But but at the same time, Brandon gets a little more cinematic in yeah. in his action more sequences. And what's going on? In of course, yeah, for sure. That's not to say that David Farland can't do spectacle because oh, we just no. got done uh, with Brotherhood yeah. of the Wolf. And yeah, our last episode before this was Brotherhood of the Wolf Part Two. Yeah, um, but oh, it's good. Oh, yeah, yeah, uh, but but because of that, I think this is you know this was a good choice for us to use Warbreaker as our kind of mid Rune Lords break because we we have these uh, similarities and parallels between um, the books on certain levels. So you know, it, it's sort of a natural um, transition point in the yeah. middle of the series. Yeah. Um, 
there were actually a couple characters that I wanted to briefly discuss that we actually never got a chance to. And we're only, you know, 30 minutes into the recording at this point, or 30 and change. Um, I actually did want to briefly discuss uh, three characters, minor characters, in this book. Okay. Number one, Denth. Um, All right. Now, I it's, it's hard to, to discuss too much about Denth because a lot more um, happens with him in part two. Uh, in in the second half of this book, but I I do want to point out that Denth at this point is is his. <laughs> when I was reading uh Warbreaker for the first time, I decided that Denth was my favorite character in the whole in all of, in Brandon Sanderson's books at that point. He's very very in, not intimidating, but he's very confident. He's very sure of himself. Yeah, he's very mysterious. Um, and of course his his uh his dialogue his his wordplay there with Tonk Fa. Uh, his mercenary partner is just it's it's gold every interaction between those two is is pure gold i uh, i i love his whole you know what i hate most about being a mercenary that recurring line yeah that shows up in the most unexpected places i i love it i loved it just from an aesthetic writing point of view it's it's a very enjoyable and that, that honestly and i might piss off somebody by saying this it's kind of the only reason that i like Vivina's chapters at all at this point, is because we get a lot of Denth and Tonk Fa at this hmm. point. I mean, I do, you? I do like Denth as a character a lot. I think he's brilliantly written. Uh, in a lot yeah. of ways, he reminds me of Kelsier from Mistborn. He does, he, doesn't he? I hadn't realized that until he, you said that. He has this um, uh, uh, kind of air about him. He has yeah. this sort of charismatic Forced. aura. You know? Forced joviality, you know, hiding a deeper, darker anger. Yeah, yeah, and and yeah. and it's funny, you know, because like, you know he he is a mercenary, you know. It's he goes off and off and off about it, you know, like it's not yep. glamorous, you know. But but even beyond that, like we know, like as readers, that the idea of a mercenary is kind of inherently dirty, you know. Yeah, it's it's got a stain. You know, you know and so. And so it it gives you this uh, this feeling with Denth where it's like yeah he's fun, but at the same time he's dangerous. Yeah, you know? he is, isn't he? And then and then we have you know without going into spoilers about Mistborn, but we have you know quotes from Brandon Sanderson where he's talked about in in um, interviews and and question and answers at signings and stuff where he said that in a different kind of story, Kelsier could easily be the villain. Yeah, where where Kelsier yeah. has the same thing. He's fun to read, but he has this dangerous side to him. He's yeah. You know? Not all of his sharp edges are are uh, covered by that. Sick, I, yeah, yeah. Personality. By no means are they. Yeah, and so yeah. So it's, in and in some ways, I almost think that uh, Denth is better written than Kelsier. Where no, I agree. where the I agree. humor and and this is something you know, listeners just get used to this. Uh, whenever we were reading a Brandon Sanderson book, it's probably going to come up. Most of us are not big fans of Brandon's, Brandon Sanderson's humor. He, he has his moments, Fair. but but uh, I, I know Rob agrees with me on this. It gets to a point where it feels like Brandon is forcing it. And it's, it his... definitely feels heavy-handed at times, yeah. and like he, he has a very strict formula of mm -hmm. humor that he wants to insert here and there. Yeah, yeah. but Denth, to me, is much more natural. Feels natural. Yeah, it definitely feels more natural. I that we use the same exact word at the same exact time. I I absolutely agree, one hundred and ten percent. Denth feel, comes about it a little more naturally, mm -hmm. um, and uh, that's that's about all I want to talk about with Denth for now because we have a lot more to talk about in part 
too. Oh, yes. We definitely will. But oh, there's yes. actually still two more minor characters I wanted to get out of the way. These will be a lot faster, though. Okay. Number one, uh, Light Song. Holy shit, Light Song. Okay. Um, he was my favorite Cosmere character for, for many, many years. Oh, wow. Uh, the the idea, like, you could, I would just love to see that look on Brandon Sanderson's face when he conceptualized the, the, the character, the god who doesn't believe in his own religion. Yeah. What a winning comedic gold strike he got with yeah. that idea. That's perfect. Uh, like, Light Song is, is a seven-foot-tall, inhumanly endowed with muscle, tone, fitness... In, in every way, he is a divinity. He possesses um, a splinter of endowment, hearkening back to the magic system. Yeah, a divine breath. A very, very, very sizable splinter of endowment, a divine breath that grants him at least the abilities of the fifth heightening, perhaps more. He is a god. He is immortal. He cannot even be poisoned. He can't get sick. And he's just so blasé about it, so irreverent about his own divinity that he just spends all of his time entertaining himself by making fun of those who take him seriously and i'll I love say that character i you know, love th- it this goes back to what i was just saying about denth here and brandon sanderson's humor for the most part i think he nails it with light song and blush weaver like yeah he does like, they're it's, it's the same style of humor that i i mm-hmm. kind of bugs me with some other characters in other series but it works <coughs> lopen sorry <coughs> go on oh god <laughs> <laughs> oh, that bitch. Anyway. Yeah, so, but, but their their witty banter in this is actually witty. That's my biggest thing, is that a lot of Brandon Sanderson's so-called witty banter isn't really very witty, and it yeah. falls flat to me. This, like, they Same. do great stuff with, like, plays on words and puns and things like that, with Blush Weaver and Light Song messing with each other. Yeah. But, but what makes it great is that when they're messing with each other, there's always an undercurrent of something more going on. Some respect and some seriously, like, yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. Um, I mean, it, it says a lot about, about Blush Weaver, that light song of all people takes the time out of his day to take her seriously. Yeah. I mean, yeah. Light Song takes nothing seriously, not even himself, but Blush Weaver, he has some sort of respect for. And at this point, we really don't know why, because to the reader, Blush Weaver is just a kind of... She's a hoe. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. No, like she's, I, I'm sorry. There's no way to sugarcoat it. She's just kind of a, she's a, a goddess. Yeah. yeah well, what what does she say? There are only three people in the whole court of the gods that she won't sleep with. Like, yeah. <laughs> yeah. No, no, that's that, that she would, that she, no, no. There are three that she would not like when, when light, she, when she's first flirting she with light that? song and she makes the, she propositions him and he says like, he's like, that's not flattering. You would sleep with anybody. And she's like, Oh, there are at least three that I wouldn't. Is that what she says? Maybe I, I've been yeah. reading that scene wrong this whole time. Yeah. I could have yeah. sworn that she was saying there's only three people that I would consider that I have. And the, my whole personality is just a facade. No, no, because Light Song talks about how, like, it's common knowledge that she sleeps with, like, many of her priests all the time. And, like, and, yeah. Really? Oh, I didn't yeah. think she was that much of a hoe. Oh, no. Oh, she, my God. She, she's a hoe. Hey, <laughs> you know, use what God gave you, girl. Power to her. Use use what God gave you. <laughs> I guess, eh? uh... Eh? Well, what uh, uh, Edgley gave you, endowed you with, perhaps? Yeah. <laughs> I don't know. We, we don't know that that's the, the name of the shard holder, right? That's it it is. Edgley popular... is the, yeah. Oh, I thought that was just like a popular, like the most popular theory, but it hadn't been confirmed at this point. I would have to double check. For I mean, Brandon. it has to be. It has to be. It's just it hasn't been confirmed, right? Keep talking. I'm going to I'm gonna hit up okay. Arcanum real quick here. 
Okay, well, uh, while Drew does that, and, and I'll, I'll just really quickly discuss this third character, this minor character that I wanted to get out of the way, Nightblood. Nightblood, yes. and that's... It, Nightblood is a character, of course, and, it, you know, of course, I was going to say those who haven't read the book don't understand why I'm spe- specifying that, but no one's going to be listening to this podcast if they haven't read the book, so I can just go willy-nilly, at least about part one. Nightblood oh. is a sentient sword with a childlike personality that speaks into the heads of those who... Uh, who are wielding him, and he's corrupted. And it's... He, uh, the idea of a sentient sword... I mean, at that point, I hadn't read... Archive at all in 2009. That hadn't been released yet. Um, but I loved that character as well. And Nightblood has got this kind of... sinister air about him, and this kind of terrifying childlike naivete that's just chilling to read. Like, he, he obviously has a very, very basic intelligence rudimentary sentience he's not a fully fledged personality uh, but he's kind of presented as one and he oh, speaks in, in Vash's head I think he kind of is a fully fledged personality in in a yeah. in an elementary sort of way like in a very basic he, yeah he has a voice like and and not just like the fact that he speaks but like there's a distinctive voice for nightblood that when when nightblood True. talks if, you know it's nightblood yeah. I will say that if Nightblood says something out of the ordinary for Nightblood, you would notice right away. You're right. He actually does have a kind of yeah, I think basic he character set. Um. Anyway, yeah. uh, so I'm on Arcanum right now, and, and good, we good. do have uh, general signed books from 2015. Is Edgley Endowments Holder, and Brandon said yes. Okay. So it is okay, beer. okay. I learned something new today as well. God damn, that's a good beer. I can't wait to talk about what we're drinking today. Oh, I can't either. It's going to be great. Do you have another thematically appropriate beer? Oh, you know it. Oh, sh- my man. Guess what? I actually have one, too. Oh, heck yeah. For the first time, I was looking at names this time, and I went with one that's somewhat thematically appropriate. Okay, okay. Um, so now that we've discussed the majority of the characters I wanted to get out of the way, uh, what else are we going to discuss? Oh, that's a that's a great question. I I mean a we lot can... of uh, a lot of the kind of big things with Warbreaker happen in the second half of the book. You know, this is a right, this right. is an early Brandon Sanderson book, so the pacing is a little, you know, it, it takes a while that's, to yeah. get chugging, um, which is actually kind of interesting because I I've always thought of Warbreaker as being paced better than Elantris as far as the action I goes. Still, I, I still think it is, but there are I I do still think it is, but but the major like inciting kind of plot moment uh hasn't happened yet and i totally thought it happened like oh, towards the end I of the I'm first what you're talking yeah yeah i thought if if it's what i think it is and i'm not going to spoil it obviously yeah. but if it's what i think it is, we'll talk about it afterwards true um yeah there was a moment that i thought we were going to be ending on at the end of part one and it hasn't happened yet i was yeah. like oh okay yep so i i mean i think it's only maybe two or three chapters out from where yeah, we it's very close. I was expecting it to be there. I was, we were approaching it. Yeah, and I was like, oh, yeah. maybe it is. No, no it's no. not yet. But you yeah, want to talk about the uh, greater Cosmere-wide connections before we move into the uh, the final draft. Sure. Or do you have, I mean, if you have more talking points, by all means, throw them at me. Uh, I, Let's I, I think I'm, I'm pretty, pretty far through my my talking points for for specifically this book, but. If we move to Cosmere stuff, uh, it's going to be kind of retreading some of the character things that I talked about earlier and sure, uh, making sure. some comparisons. So do we want right. to just go ahead and dive into that? 
I have a couple points I want to get out of the way that are kind of Cosmere-wide connections and shit like that, That, but they really don't have much to do with the second half of the book either. Okay, well, well let's just... Let, you know, listeners, if you haven't yet read uh, the other Cosmere yes. books, and this this includes Elantris, uh, Mistborn, and the Stormlight Archive... Mm-hmm. Uh, and and actually now for ten minutes <laughs> and 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 white sand yeah you may want to skip ahead for like ten minutes here um, yeah so that said uh, I think the major major ones obviously here are gonna be Nightblood and Pavena yes oh my God yes uh, I, and I made a very very subtle hint to it earlier Drew I saw the light of recognition in your eyes there. Um, Vivenna as a character becomes much more palatable to me when she appears, of course, in disguise in the <laughs> Alright, nothing happened in the past 15 seconds. Don't worry about it, everybody. I may or may not have spoiled something. So Pat, our sound engineer, by the way, another so- uh, shout out to Pat McCaffrey, who is being a sound engineer for this podcast here. Big shout out to that guy. Man, so much work he's going to have to do listening to our fucking shit, our rambling. Sorry, I'm getting a little buzz from this beer now, too, so things are going to get interesting. <laughs> um, wait, what was the point I was just trying well, to so make? So we're talking about Vivenna and, and her character. Yes. And, and yes. how, so, so the, the major thing is that, at least at this point in Warbreaker, you know, she is, she has had her life upended. She is out of her element. She went from being the in control, purely in control. Like, and, and this, this is actually, there's an outward physical representation of it with the Royal Locks where oh, ro- Vivenna yeah, right, is even better at, like controlling the color of her hair than her father is. Vivenna is the one who has Wait, really? utter control over her emotions. And and uh yeah, yeah, like like But I remember it being her, specified that she was oh, better yeah, at it. He, that he it's talks about talent. it. Yeah. And and like how like how a... her father like struggles to maintain his hair color around Siri and stuff like that. And anyway, because he would get angry. But but so oh, with, with yes. Vivenna, you know, she's she's so. the one who's completely in control. And then now mm. she's she's away from from all of that she no longer has control and it becomes a thing with her in this book where she struggles to maintain her hair color yeah and the vivenna that we see in the stormlight archive is this awesome balance between Mm -hmm. the vivenna that we get at the beginning of the book and the vivenna that we see in the middle of this book where where she has like some of that impulsiveness and some of the like o- almost a, a greater appreciation for life and for living well she's learned some lessons absolutely but she she has regained this control and 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 on a big scale i'm mean, again not going to go into spoilers for for the storm of the car but like she she is in control of things like that's that's yeah. a defining character trait for Vivenna is is her ability to step into a situation and gain control, mm-hmm. and so I think that's that's something that we should be you know keeping an eye on as we go through the next half of Warbreaker about how Vivenna handles situations where she doesn't have control, or how she gets control in situations. You know, speaking of control over one's kind of. Uh divine attributes if you want to put it that way I, there was a there was a moment i noticed with light song that stuck out to me on this read through hmm. that i hadn't picked up on before and it might be nothing it's, it's just something that brandon sanderson readers especially if you've read enough of his work it just he does this to you you start looking at tiny little details and you start drawing volumes of information yeah. that are probably incorrect but those rare times that you stumble across something you make a 
prediction, a theory, and you turn out to be right, they make it so worth it. it those moments are so worth it. So here's one of those moments. It's a small little detail I picked up on. Probably means absolutely nothing. But I'll leave it to the listener to decide. Um, there is a point uh, in the scene where Light Song has to turn away a dying child to keep his own life because, you know, the the, the people who um, who make... who What's the... God damn it, there's a, there's a word for it. Uh, not suppositions. People who ask for uh, oh, just uh, uh, bounties from their god. They uh, ask their, do- their god to uh, kill supplicants? themselves. Supplicants. Yes, thank you very much. Uh, when there's a supplicant with a, you know, it's a crying mother with a dying child, uh, Sanderson shows us immediately like how it is that many of these gods, even with their lavish lifestyle, can choose to give up their privileges and serve their people in, in just dying, despite the, the privileged lives that they have and how easy they are. But in that same scene, there's a moment when <clears throat> the colors in the room flare brighter in response to his emotions. When Light mm. Song has a particular feeling of, of, of guilt and it hurts him inside and he has an emotional outburst and he kind of loses his cool, the colors in the room very specifically kind of flare brighter. Now, interesting. It, like, it could be nothing. We haven't seen that really happen elsewhere you in know, the book where a big emotional outburst kind of affects a person's kind of power in their investiture. You know, I, I um, uh, after this, you know, look up which chapter that's in and, and fire it over to me. I wonder, and I, I just realized I should have done this uh, while I was reading. Um, I want to look at the annotations for Warbreaker on Brandon's site and see if there's anything that he talks about in that scene. Yeah, see, the, I have the uh, I was just reading it on the e-reader, and each chapter at the very end of the Kobo version conveniently has, like at the end of chapter twenty-eight, also conveniently has a link to the annotations for chapter twenty-eight. No way! And you can just at the end of each chapter read the annotations for it with a single press. It's 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 downloaded as part of the book. You actually have oh, it that's super on cool. The electronic version, yeah, it's actually really convenient. Oh. I was going to read those too, but I just. I didn't have the time to read the first half of the book. Yeah, and I, I should have. I should have done that. I, I, I feel like we're we're probably like missing out on some like great talking points by not. That's okay. We can do it next time. Well, for the next episode when we wrap up Warbreaker. Yes. There's another yeah. scene, uh, where again this is since we said about ten minutes it's going to be of spoiler talk with the rest of the Cosmere connections. We have about three minutes of that left. I want to just point this out really quick before we uh, we kind of pass that and people run the risk of tuning in and, and hearing an accidental spoiler for the rest of the Cosmere. Um, the, the scene with the painting, and you know what I'm talking about. The scene yes. with the painting, the Battle of Twilight Falls, okay? Uh, let's see here. Uh, I'm just reading through my notes. Okay, so the painting of the Battle of Twilight Falls, without getting much into greater Cosmere-wide connections... Uh, as a small detail I noticed during this particular read-through, um, the sword held by the vaguely feminine figure. And this is, of course, portraying the Battle of Twilight Falls, which is supposed to be the battle that ended the many war years and years ago. Yeah. The, uh, Light Song is able to see with his, uh, with his powers, his abilities from the third heightening that he has. Um, it's, the entire painting's in red. And he, most people can't, most mortals can't distinguish uh, things. It's not uh, purely red, though. It's not purely well. There's it's just it's in shades of red, um, but there is a figure wielding a black sword towards the sky, 
And what I wanted to, to focus on here is that it seems, you know, Black Sword, Nightblood, uh, it seems to be darkening the sky around it. Of course, Nightblood, we know, kind of darkens colors. It might be a result of his corrupted nature. But, and the very important <laughs> distinction I want to call here um, is that it says it's darkening the red sky around it. Mm-hmm. Red. Not a blue sky or a stormy gray one. Not a night sky. A red sky. Now, is this because the painting itself is in a multitude of shades of red that only the third lightning can perceive? Or is it possible that the Battle of the Many War, the one that ended the Many War, could have been fought beneath a red sky? Uh, Well, certainly the painting was many shades of red. Right, right. That that most people would never, ever be able to... They would just see a wall of red. They wouldn't see a painting. I mean, even uh, Lilaramar says that he he only sees a paint. He only sees red. He doesn't Mm -hmm. see the woman or the sword to which light song yeah. is referencing but i just I, I don't know these little details that i pick up on of course we've seen a red sky in more than one other cosmere world of course cell has a red sky or at least had a red sky you know until the catastrophe and like you know, harmony's ascension and we've seen well yeah, not a red sky but a red storm in the storm archive right uh so like just i don't know i thought fo- it was the the color red that i focused on there it said the red sky above i, I will he was say, able to distinguish the sword was black but he still said the sky was red i will say um regarding like cosmere connections again without going into spoilers i am 99 percent sure this is not the same painting okay you know what i'm talking okay. about yeah i know what you're talking about yeah part four of oathbringer yeah it, it's not the yeah. same painting the, okay. the one in Oathbringer is, it's mostly red, but it is specifically described as having white and black in it as well. Well, this one is specifically described as having black in it for sure. No, no, he sees, he sees it, but the whole thing is in shades of red. And, uh... the, and the implication there is that Nightblood is in such a dark shade of red, it appears to be almost black. But like non non that wouldn't appear almost black to a normal people without divine breaths see the other painting and see other colors. So I I don't think it's the same painting. It's yeah, it's the other colors thing that I can't wrap my head around because to me it would still look like that color to a like a a regular mortal. Yeah. Um. But I'm I'm sure this at this point we're just talking semantics. Yeah. Uh, Is there anything else? Because we're right at the ten minute mark. Is there anything else before we go into the final draft that you want to discuss about like greater Cosmere wide connections? No, I, I think uh, I think we should hold off on on further Cosmere connections until the end of the next episode. Um, Perfect. Okay, sounds good. Uh, yeah. So let's dive into the final draft. Awesome. Okay, I'm gonna finish off my beer right here. Actually, Drew, let us know what you're drinking, man. So I am drinking a mint chocolate Imperial Stout. Ooh. From Weldworks Mint Brewing chocolate. Company. Okay. Um, now, now we are we are reading Warbreaker, mm-hmm. the uh, the the colorful book with vibrance with uh, um, a a particular element of the mattress system called biochromatic breath. Of yeah. course, that's coming from the you know the chromatic chrome the chroma root chrome. the color color. I am drinking a beer called Achromatic, without Ooh. color. Achromatic, yeah, without color. Or monochromatic, as, as one color. Yeah, achromatic. Interesting. Interesting. It is the kind mint of... chocolate variant of achromatic. And I'll show you the, uh, the label here. This is, uh, chocolate. This is a, a fantastic beer. Um, it's is it? What's up... the strength on it? 
Ooh, uh, 9.7. Wow! My man is not screwing around today. I mean, it's an Imperial Stout. You know, these are hefty things. And and when they say achromatic, I mean, this thing is black. <laughs> no shit. It is God black. Damn. So, um, yeah, that, that's my, uh, my enjoyment for the podcast today and my little tie-in to the world. Well, I went to the grocery store, and I don't know if I've mentioned this yet, but buying beer at the grocery store, especially a bunch of uh, of craft beers, is not something that we've been able to do here in Canada for a while. Uh, beer has only been store uh, sold in stores, like grocery stores, for about a year now. It's kind of a new thing. Sure. But I was there, and I was able to see a lot of, of beers and, and look at the names, and I found one that kind of made me chuckle. I was keeping Warbreaker in mind today, and we were uh, discussing Nightblood. Right now, this this I, I'm not going to spoil anything for part two. Those who have read part two are going to laugh a little harder at this, but it's not spoiling anything. We were discussing Nightblood earlier. I have a beer here today called Drew. I'll show you right there. It's called. Oh, you can see it backwards. It's called Lost Craft. Ooh, this is a beer, and I saw it on the shelf. This is there's actually three different flavors. There's a red like. All the cans are white. They're actually a very pleasing. They're kind of like a brushed aluminum kind of texture. They're all white, and they're very minimalistic uh, with their with their labels here. It's like as you can see, this is the blue one yeah. here. It's just a whole bunch. Of, it's just a white brushed aluminum can. Feels very nice to hold, and it's just a, just some very minimalistic, yeah, light nice. stroke blue designs on so, it. So Lost designs. Craft is the brewery, I take it. Yeah, Lost Craft is the brewery. This one's called Crimson C R I M Z E N. It's a red beer. Uh, our sorry, right. premium red ale, four point seven percent alcohol. It, it was very tasty, but and I don't know if you saw this, Drew, but once I started drinking the blue, uh, halfway through, I think it was halfway through our discussion about Battle of Twilight Falls, I went, ooh, because we can see each other over webcam. This blue one is freaking delicious. This one's called Serious, and this is an IPA. Oh, but, very nice. God, Damn, that was very pleasant. This is 4.9%. The bottle, I can't say the bottle, the can. The can's very nice to hold. That brushed, that brushed aluminum is really nice. But, uh, yeah, I was having Lost Craft Brewery. I had the, the Red Ale, and I had Sirius. And they were very, very good. So I would recommend those two beers if you can find them wherever the hell you live, of yeah, course. Yeah, very nice. Very nice. That's, that's awesome. good. Yeah, and so, so uh, next week we will be reconvening to finish warbreaker yes we will will have our special guests Uh, the (laughs) the logistics just did not work out today um yeah it happens but uh so uh yeah so uh next week we'll we'll be wrapping up warbreaker and uh yeah so as usual thanks for listening as usual thank you so much everybody reconvening next time with warbreaker part two uh tomb part two this has been inking out loud episode seven thank you so much for listening everybody see ya adios